Hey guys, and welcome to episode number four of BH Live. And today we're going to be interviewing Erin Sanchez. Erin uh, Sanchez is an advocate, educator, and a developing applied research support dancer uh, for physical and mental health. She has led more than 600 educational workshops for dance professionals and students through her work for One Dance UK Healthy Dance Programme and the National Institute of Dance Medicine and Science. She advocates widely for the development of positive, strength-led mental health support services, psychological education, and healthy working and training conditions through a variety of professional roles. So I'm gonna bring her straight on and get this started because <laughs> all the ones so far, uh, we've, we've run out of time. So I'm gonna make sure that doesn't happen this time. So I'm gonna go live with you. And any second now, she will come live on the call. And while it's happening, this guy's also turns into a YouTube video and a podcast. So if you do miss it or if catch you it, miss you, it can or it. It. you can listen to it. Okay, so how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So I'm really good. excited to be here. So good to see your lovely face, as always. And how's lockdown treating you? Yeah, it's okay. Um, it's been a really strange up and down kind of time. I thought I was like winning at lockdown and then for a while I was like really losing at lockdown and now I'm just kind of like trying to be at peace with it and just let it ride. Yeah, I think everybody can relate to that. <laughs> it's literally like this, isn't it? It's a roller coaster ride of, I'm happy today. And then the next day it's like, I'm not happy anymore. <laughs> and then yeah, up again. Yeah, and I think that's just the way it's going to be. Like, all right, okay, yeah, that's just, just acceptance it. acceptance and go forward. Right, I'm going to crack straight on with the questions just because we only get an hour. And I know you and me, we can talk for Britain. So I feel like we can really go in depth with this. So first question, for all the people listening, can you please tell them a bit more about your role at One Dance and how it benefits them? Sure. Um, so at One Dance UK, I work in the health, well-being and performance department, which fundamentally means that I look after the sector's health and well-being in association with a lot of other experts. So um, I have a master's degree in dance science, but that means that I don't have all of the knowledge about everything that you need to be healthy and well. So we work with a dance medicine and science expert panel, as well as the National Institute of Dance Medicine and Science to kind of give a lot of expert advice about things like nutrition and dietetics, psychology, physical training, and professional dance training. So um, I work with lots of experts there, and fundamentally my job is to make sure that dancers have a good experience in dance, both in terms of their physical health, their mental health, and their performance. Amazing. <laughs> so now everybody knows what you do. So moving straight on to the main questions is, when it comes to mental health, what would you say is the most important thing a dancer needs to take into consideration when entering into this career? Oh, That's a, a really big one. good question. <laughs> um, I think probably from the perspective of um, a professional career, most dancers aren't very well prepared for the kinds of psychological challenges that they're going to face. Um, I think a lot of dancers kind of get told that dance is a difficult profession um, because there aren't a lot of jobs or because it's quite physically demanding. In terms of their physical and mental health, I don't think dancers are very well prepared. Um, and in that sense, I think they could be a lot more prepared in terms of their um, self-confidence and self-esteem. Um, I know that sounds like something that people kind of go, oh, well, do I really need to be self-confident? Do I really need to have self-esteem in order to make it in this profession? And fundamentally, the answer is absolutely yes. yes. Um, a lot of dancers think, well, it would be better for me to be confident, but actually I'm going to work on my technique or I'm going to work mm -hmm. on my body or I'm going to work on some other aspect of what I think it needs to be, what I think it means to be successful. Mm -hmm. And actually, fundamentally, if people had self-confidence and a good sense of self-worth, they could probably get through any challenge that was thrown at them. Yeah, 
completely agree. Yeah, so, we, so we... I think that's the main one. Okay, next question. What are the most important things to be thinking about right now if you're taking, oh, sorry, if you're taking or teaching a class? Um, yeah, so right now, um, we're not, none of us are dancing in the spaces that we would usually be dancing in. And also none of us are in the context that we would usually be dancing in. So that means the physical space needs to be considered. So you need to take care of your body. You need to be taking care of your physical health right now. A lot of us are less fit than we would usually be. So if you're taking class and you're expecting your body to be able to do the stuff that it used to be able to do, mm. it's probably not the case. Um, so you need to manage your expectations for your body. Also, you need to be looking out for your spaces and making sure that those spaces are appropriate for the movements that you're doing and that you're wearing appropriate shoes and appropriate clothing. Um, all of that is really basic Betty stuff, but you need to be thinking about it. Um, and then from the perspective of our sort of uh, context in dance classes, um, since we're not able to see other people, usually when we're participating yeah. in dance classes right now, um, there's going to be a lot of focus on you. And that can be perhaps a good thing and perhaps a bad thing. <laughs> um, if you're super perfectionistic, if you have really high standards for mm. yourself, it can be an opportunity to tear yourself down. If you are um, maybe a little bit in need of competition to drive you, if you're yeah. one of those kinds of people, this could be a really demotivating time. Yeah. <laughs> so either one of those, don't kill yourself about it. If you're mm. super competitive, try and find ways to set yourself goals for yourself. So I want to get better at this. Mm. Yesterday I was this good, tomorrow I wanna be this good. Um, if you are kind of one of those highly perfectionistic people, Try and give yourself a break and and recognize that there are things that you can get better on better at right now. And there are also things that you need to let go of to focus on other things. Mm. So get comfortable with the idea that you're going to need to let go of some stuff. Yeah. And going back to kind of what you said is it's simple little things like, are you dancing on carpet or are you dancing on a wooden floor? So if the teacher chucks in a double, triple turn and you're wearing trainers on carpet, you're gonna pull your knee out. So you need to think about these things and either change what you're wearing on your feet or do a single <laughs> or hop yeah, around. Exactly. You know, you, you got it. It's a, obviously the dance studio is specifically designed for dancing. So you, you're in a perfect place to do what you need to do in your flat. I can't count the times I've been choreographing and punched the fridge or turned and nearly fallen out <laughs> into my desk. And, you know, I've knocked my laptop on the floor before. It's just, it's not the perfect environment. So you're right, it's, <laughs> you can just imagine me cutting you and everything flies across the room. So yeah, it's just little simple things that sometimes people don't um, aware. And I, I, one thing I wanna say is, I don't think people are completely aware that there's no liability on the teachers anymore when they're doing lives. Most lives will have some sort of sign-in thing to say, you are waiving any liability that if you hurt yourself, it's not the teacher's fault. So you really have to self-manage and look after yourself. Yeah. Which we yeah. don't all do sometimes. <laughs> but um, touching again on what you were saying about finding the things you can achieve. So uh, a story of mine is I've been obsessing about trying to find a workout that's completely body weight and still work all the same muscles and keep me as fit as I want to fit. I feel like I found it and I'm going to put a video out soon, but it kills me. But it's taken me like six weeks to find all those little things. And now I'm going to get bored and move on to the next thing. But that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> all right. Next question. 
when on a job, a lot of dancers don't know what they can be asked to do and what they can't be asked to do. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, safe practices in the work workplace? Yeah, so this is a huge question. And I think it's something that I wish more people would proactively educate themselves about um, because unfortunately in our profession, in the professional dance sector, there aren't a lot of regulations around our professional work. Um, if you were a plumber, if you were a school teacher, if you were somebody who worked as a tradesperson, you would have a lot of really clear regulation. Yeah. In the dance sector, because of the many different types of professional performance we can all do, there are different regulations for different people. So if I'm a professional dancer in, say, a ballet company, mm. my contract will be regulated perhaps by Bechtu or by um, another union. It might even be regulated by equity. Yeah. Obviously, if I'm working in the West End or in some commercial contracts, my contract might be regulated by equity. And those contract stipulations will tell me what kinds of working conditions I should be expecting. And if you don't know anything about what kinds of working conditions you should be expecting and you're reading a contract for the first time, I'd highly recommend that you get in touch with Equity and ask them about contracts. I'd also recommend that you get in touch with the Dancers Network, which is a brilliant group of people who look at commercial contracts particularly and help to sort of advocate for better working conditions for commercial dancers. Um, One Dance UK also does a lot of advocacy with government to try and make sure that working conditions are good. But fundamentally, the, the golden rule is you need to look out for your body and your mind when you're working. If someone is asking you to do something that is going to potentially damage your body or your mind during the course of your work, you need to think really seriously about whether or not it's worth it. I understand that lots of dancers are interested in getting experience, in wanting to have you know, have worked with people who are famous, people who are well known, but actually the most important thing to recognize is that you only get one body and you only get one kind of one mental health experience. Yep. So if you mess that up, that could take you out of work and take you out of enjoying yep. your career for a really long time. And is it worth it to have worked with that person only to have the sort of mental yeah. and physical scars for months, years after that? Mm. Probably not. Do you know, I can, I can literally share a story with you that kind of sums up what you're saying is I was, I was injured for about three years straight, which will start with one injury that kind of collected onto it. But it started on a contract uh, with a company where, um, shall we say, safe practices weren't met. But I didn't know. I didn't know any better. So I was, I was lifting someone on one arm every night and it started to hurt. And I told the company man, manager that it was hurting and I need to take a break. And I was kind of um, not forced because I wasn't forced because I could have walked away, but encouraged that I need to carry on. And in the end, my shoulder went one night and it took me out of dancing for a year and I gave up. I literally gave up dancing, started training as a life coach, um, which then taught me that I love dancing, but I just don't want to be a dancer anymore. And then luckily came back as a choreographer and now I'm here doing it. But there was three years of injuries that just kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going. And you're right, it's completely like soul destroying to not be able to do the thing you want to do and always giving 20% because you're scared of getting injured again and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's yeah. a really, really, really good point. And I think that makes me circle back to that first point about kind of what's important in terms mm. of mental health in a career and in a, as a professional dancer. If you don't value yourself, if you don't have self-esteem, if you don't have confidence in yourself, mm 
trying to find a voice to say to someone, you know, this isn't working for me. This doesn't feel good in my body. That's going to be really, really hard if you don't feel like you're good enough or you don't feel like you're worth anything. But I would also encourage people to kind of recognize that everybody in in the dance sector, whether they're professional producers, choreographers, um, agents, managers, um, they all most likely just want to make good art. And if you can develop respectful ways to talk about what you need and to kind of express your needs in a way that is professional and respectful, what it's going to get you is a credential or recognition that people Mm. know that you're respectful but you're also a professional that kind of values themselves yeah and I think that's that's better than kind of talking behind people's backs or or kind of making arguments with people so it's, it's a really delicate balance so what advice would you give to people? Um, for example, I know from college days and I know, from speaking to dancers, the colleges still drum it into people that you do as you're told, you you sit back and you you just, you do as you're told, that's it. As a dancer, you're the lowest of the low and that's it. You shouldn't speak out, you shouldn't speak back to the choreographer, the producer, whoever it may be. What advice would you give to those people that are scared to speak out and they don't quite know where to turn? Mm. Yeah, so um, I think they're, Uh, As I mentioned, there are a couple of organizations that can help you to strengthen your voice if you Mm. need that. So if you feel like you're powerless in a situation and you need some backup, um, One Dance UK, Equity, Dancers Network um, are all really good advocates. But I think also don't be afraid to look within your peer group for advocates. So if you're working in a company, if you're working with a group of dancers on a tour, a show or a contract, work together and advocate Mm. for each other. Um, if you feel like that will strengthen your voice. Now, equally, if you feel like you haven't got a voice and you're in danger and you feel like you're kind of, you aren't supposed to speak up or you don't feel comfortable speaking Mm. up, I would have a conversation with someone you trust and see if you can figure out a way to voice what's going on in a way that you feel comfortable with. So I think mm-hmm. that as a way to kind of test out your ideas, test out your opinions and strengthen your own ability to make choices and make make what your needs are known. It's a valuable way to kind of try that out. Brilliant, brilliant answer. I uh, just want to quickly say, guys, if anyone on the line has a question, I see Bess just put a question. If you put it in the question box down here somewhere um, and I will look at the questions at the end and ask Erin um, everything you post. But if you put it in the comment box, unfortunately, it will disappear somewhere and it will never get seen again. Okay, moving on to question five. If you're a professional dancer and you're trying to find help for an injury or a mental health issue, where's the best sources of information? Yeah, so uh, welcome to coronavirus where all NHS services are closed. Hooray, love it. (laughs) Also, if any of you have like a regular healthcare professional that you go to see like a massage therapist or a physio or an osteopath or whatever you use, they're also probably closed because no one can touch each other. Hooray! So um, Which is great when you live on your own. (laughs) (laughs) I would hugely, hugely advocate for um, the British Association for Performing Arts Medicine, or BAPAM. Um, They're doing free services for any performing artist. So if you're a dancer, if you're a theater professional, if you're a singer, if you're anyone in the performing arts sector, you can call them up and they will organize telemedicine services for you, which means that they'll call you, ask you what's going on, put you in touch with the right healthcare professional, and then they will tell you what the right thing to do next is. Mm. They'll set you up with 
an ongoing support service to help you with whatever it is that's going on with you. I would also really highly advocate for MIND. Um, if any of you have ever called MIND or engaged with MIND, they're fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I think for general mental health issues, the kind of what I'd call normal people, <laughs> mental <laughs> health issues, normal they're people really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, for performing arts specific mm -hmm. mental health issues, there are a range of good services. Indus Industry Minds is really great. Arts Minds also has some really good resources. The British Association for Performing Arts Medicine also has counselors and psychologists that regularly see um, performing artists, including dancers. Mm. Um, so I think all of those are really, really good resources. And unfortunately, not very many dance artists know about them. Um, they kind of go through their careers thinking that there isn't any help for them, but there's mm. actually some pretty good help for both injuries and mental health services. Mm. And I'm sure there's a ton of people on the line that are relating to everything you're saying. Do you, by any chance, this is an added question that you didn't know were coming, um, what would you say are the most common mental health problems you're finding with specifically to the performing arts industry? So that if there's anyone on the line that is suffering, uh, one, they know they're not alone and they know that it's it's normal, it's not just them. Um, I think broadly, um, and this is in the general population as well, the most common mental health issues are depression and anxiety. Mm. And I think, you know, performing artists are human beings and we experience the same things that the general population does. Um, we might have different triggers for those things, mm. but um, depression, anxiety, those are really a, a big deal. And the symptoms of depression and anxiety, especially among performing artists, might be ignored. So um, if you're feeling extra special tired, if you're feeling a bit low, if you're losing interest in the things that you really love, those are symptoms of depression. And there are some really great mental health support services and professionals that can help yeah. you. So don't ignore those symptoms. No. Um, and then I think probably specific to performing artists, um, a loss of identity right now is a really big deal. So we all, okay. as dancers, really find a lot of meaning and self-worth in being able to dance. And right now we can't dance. So it might feel like you don't know what you are or who mm. you are. And that can make you feel really kind of lost, upset, kind of low and demotivated. That is a symptom of kind of a loss of identity. And um, uh, performance psychologists are very well equipped to help with those kinds of questions. Counselors can also help with those kinds mm. of questions. Um, eating disorders, um, substance abuse issues, um, and those sorts of things are also kind of pretty common among performing artists. Yeah. But I do have to say, unfortunately, in the UK, we don't have a lot of clear research that tells us what the main problems are for performing artists in terms of mental health. So um, we're we're trying to find out more about that and find mm. out more about what performing artists are most most often suffering with. But um, Arts Minds, in association with Equity and the British Association for Performing Arts Medicine, did some really interesting research in 2015, and you can see that research on the Arts Minds website. Mm. Amazing, and obviously from speaking to many many dancers all the time, I know rejection can be a massive trigger for people in that area because unfortunately in this career, it kind of comes hand in hand and parcel. Is that the right saying? That's the wrong saying, isn't it? Part in hand parcel. Hand in hand. Hand in hand, thank you. <laughs> it, comes, it comes hand in hand with the career, you know, that rejection is something you're going to get no matter how good you are. And it could just be a simple thing like you had the wrong hair color. But unfortunately, yeah. um, it always gets taken personally because we're creative and artists and we take everything personal. <laughs> so yeah, 
Anyway, moving on to the big question, which I know is going to be a long answer, is how do you think the coronavirus has affected the dance industry? And how do you think it's going to look coming out the other end? Oh. <laughs> I think there's I think there's a couple of different things. And I think um, we, we're still very much unpicking what the dance sector is, is experiencing from this. Mm. But obviously, the first thing is a loss of work. Yeah. and a loss of opportunities and progression routes for dancers. So um, the loss of work is pretty obvious. Mm. Nobody can perform right now. Nobody can rehearse right now. Nobody can um, get on stage. And so if you had a job or you had a contract, you've lost it. And some people have, have lost it forever, as in they've been, yeah. they've been released from those contracts or lost those jobs. And some people have kind of been put on hold um, yeah. potentially indefinitely until they know when people are allowed to get back on stage. In terms of loss of opportunities, um, you might have been accepted into a training program or anticipated going to um, some sort of an opportunity for professional development, and that might have changed or stopped or been po po postponed. Mm. And that could be potentially a loss for you in terms of developing your skills and your um, training, your connections with people. Um, and then for a lot of people who are currently in training, you've lost potential opportunities yeah. for progression. So if you're GCSE or A-level dance and you're trying to get into a vocational dance program, yeah. um, if you're trying to go from vocational dance into yeah. a professional career and you're trying to get an agent, um, this is just a really difficult time yeah. because all those doors sort of closed yeah. really suddenly. And I think the outcome of that for the profession is going to be that it's going to take some time to get back. Mm. And for anyone who is interested in having a career in the performing arts, we all need to remember that in order to do what we do, we need a lot of preparation time. Mm. So as soon as lockdown was lifted and as soon as we're all able to go back into theaters and go back into rehearsal spaces and studios, we're all going to be revving to go and want to get in and do as much as we can right away. But we have to recognize that physically and psychologically, we need some time to build ourselves back up again. Yeah. We need some time to build our fitness up. We need some time to get back into the mental space to be able to be performers. Mm. And I would recommend that everybody approach that gradually. And there's some really good advice about returning gradually um, that One Dance UK has on their website. But also, I would recommend that you listen to yourself and your body and figure out what you need to come back gradually and not overdo it and kind mm. of burn yourself out yeah. right away. Yeah. The other side is the mental health side. And I think we won't really know the impact of corona until probably a couple of years from now in terms no. of mental health. Because the loss of those opportunities isn't just like a sort of short-term thing. Some people might, as a result of coronavirus, lose the opportunity to enter into the profession at all. Yeah. And the reason for that is because everybody's going to be out of work right now. And we're all very aware that there aren't enough jobs in the yeah. dance sector for the number of people who want them. Well, there wasn't before and the so, coronavirus, so coming well, out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. And the problem with that is that now everyone who is out of work will include all of the sort of the top tier of people who are working. Yeah. And so 
if you kind of thought about, and this is back from our conversation, um, if you thought about the 100% of people who were employed in the dance sector, Mm. um, say maybe 40% of them had jobs before coronavirus and 60% of them were auditioning or sort of in the pool of people who were trying to get jobs. Now, after coronavirus, 100% of those people are going to be auditioning. And so you're going to be up against a lot of people for a lot of jobs. And so the competition is going to be higher. And that might kind of discourage some people from wanting to try to get into the profession. But it also might mean that some people kind of don't get the kinds of opportunities that they would have gotten because they're going to be auditioning against people who they weren't expecting to. Yeah. So from a mental health perspective and going back to that idea that you were talking about with rejection, that can be a really challenging thing. So Mm. I guess for the mental health side of things, we need to be supporting people really actively right now. And actually, as dancers ourselves, we need to be supporting each other because there probably isn't going to be a harder time to be in our profession than right now. So we all need to back each other up, to be supportive to one another, to be kind to one another, Mm. and to recognize that we're all in this together. And it doesn't help to be nasty to people, to be horrible at auditions to other people. Mm. We're all a family. We're all in this together. If you get the job and somebody doesn't, somebody else doesn't, be kind to them, help them out. Yeah. And equally, if you don't get the job and they do, recognize that that may be not about them being more talented than you or being better than you. It might just be, like you say, that they had the right color hair or they yeah. were the wrong height or whatever. Which and just allow that to be and try industry. not to take it personally. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of go on the flip side of that a little bit is, I'm, from my opinion of the commercial world, I know we're talking quite generally as a whole dance industry, theatre, events, anything that's got large crowds, we know it's going to be a very long time before that starts revving up again. Um, I know there's jobs that I've, I was supposed to be having in October, November that they're already telling me chances are it's not going to happen. Um, so that's, you know, jobs I thought, well, it'll be done by then. Um, and I already can see them disappearing and kind of fizzling out. But on the commercial side of things, I know from speaking to directors and producers, they're going to want to start creating content really fast. You know, like TV shows aren't even filming at the moment. Adverts are not being filmed. In fact, most of them are contacting animators and looking for alternative ways to create adverts and create advertisements of content that doesn't mean, you know, we're going to be in a big crowd. But on the flip side, I'm choreographing on a music video tomorrow. And the funny thing is just getting the email and the bulk of the email is about PPE, social distancing and the things we're going to have to do on set. You know, not not the actual music video itself, The bulk of it is like, we need to stay within the law. We need to stay within this, you know, um, don't pick each other up on the way down. You can't share cars. There's so many rules that I think are now going to be in place for a very, very long time. And that's what we need to think about. Like, we're bringing our own packed lunch because we can't have food supplied. So (laughs) it's like, you know, one of my favorite things in life is being on set. And the food is one of the best bits. You go up to the van and you're like, I'll have the salmon or I'll have the chicken or if you're a veggie, you'll have whatever the veggie is. <laughs> so the kind of, I think the enjoyment of it is also going to be sucked out. So one thing I wanted to touch on was when you do get back to work in the commercial world, I think there's going to be a lot of work appear very quickly. And if you're ready for that, then I think you can really take that opportunity, but also get that it's not going to be the same. For a very long time and I, I don't know how long that would take because it might be something that 
you know, they're talking 18 months for a cure or for a vaccine or whatever. I'm not sure on the statistics, but that's probably the amount of time we're going to have to be careful for. And so that's a year and a half of social distancing and being careful. But this leads me really nicely on to the next question, which is what do you think dancers should be doing right now to prepare themselves for what's next and what the industry is going to look like? Yeah. So related to what you were saying about all those annoying rules and regulations mm. that you were reading about, um, I would be prepared to figure out how you can dance and do your job whilst following those regulations. Mm. Because ultimately, the better we can figure out how to follow those regulations, the more likely more people will be able to get back to work. So if dancers can prove that they can go back to work and maintain social distancing, and make sure that they're reducing the chances of um, being infected or infecting other yeah. people with coronavirus, the more likely the government will have confidence that the performing arts sector and the entertainment industry can go back safely. Yeah. And so if you can start to prepare yourself by reading the government guidance, so if, if everybody's not aware, basically the government has said that they're aiming to open up um, sort of arts and leisure in what's called step three, which is supposed to happen on the 4th of July. Now, the government has said that it may not be the 4th of July, it might be after that point, but the aim is for that to happen on the 4th of July. And just ahead of that, there will be guidance released about what dancers are supposed to be doing mm. to be able to go back to work and what kind of guidance needs to be followed. Yeah. So I would keep my eye out for that and I'd make sure that when that comes out, I understand what it means so that yeah. I can make sure that I'm safe going back to work as a performing artist. I'd also make sure that in the meantime, so between now, early June, and early July, I am making sure that I'm fit, that I'm healthy, that I'm rested. Yep. So take this time now when you can't sort of run yourself ragged. Mm. It, get seven or eight hours of sleep at night. Make sure you're eating as healthy as you can. Make sure that you're giving yourself time to have, you know, fun with your friends. Mm. You know, do those Zoom parties, chill out, <laughs> relax, watch some movies. Yeah. Do your fitness stuff, get yourself gradually back into physical shape yep. so that on the 4th of July, you're ready to work and you are in peak condition to go back to auditions, to start talking to your agent again, to mm. get yourself ready to get out there again. Because we've got a month. I mean, how many times in your career, if you think about it for yourselves, all you people that are watching, how many times yep. in your career have you had four solid weeks to figure out what you're going to be doing? Yep. So use this time. And I'm a super big advocate of something called proactive coping. Okay. So proactive coping is the idea that instead of coping with something that happens to you, mm. sort of when it happens. So often when we think about coping mechanisms, we are sort of adjusting to or dealing with something that has just happened. So we're yeah. kind of reacting. Instead, with proactive coping, I'm thinking, right, what's the challenge that's coming over the horizon and how can I be prepared for it? So if I know that I have an audition in four weeks time, what am I doing today to prep myself for mm. that? Or if I know that I have this really difficult thing coming over the horizon, what am I doing to make sure that I'm ready for it so that I can yeah. plan to be successful? And I know that's kind of a mind, a mind fuck right now, <laughs> but if you can think about it that way and yeah. go, okay, how am I gonna plan to be successful? Yeah. I think that really gives you much better chance to set yourself up to be what you want to be and make right. the most of this time. 
Completely agree. But yeah, I'm going to touch a little bit on it as well, because obviously I, I very much come from a branding entrepreneur networking background. And that's kind of what I push quite heavily is you said it perfectly. You said, when do you ever get this much time to focus on the things you want to do? So speaking from personal experience, at the beginning of this lockdown, I was going nuts. I was losing my mind. I was like, I think I was verging on depression because it was just, I didn't want to do anything. And then I found a goal that excited me. And I'm, and I'm not saying this has to be dance-based. This might be completely different from dance. So I've, I've been telling people now is figure out what makes you happy. Like really, what's, it might not be dancing. It might be something completely different. And you've got so much time to figure that out. So for me, I've always wanted to travel the world and teach in as many different countries as possible. So I set myself a mahusive task of building a database of all the dance studios in about 50 different countries and many, many different cities, probably 100 in total. And I'm only 10 in and it's already taken me a month. <laughs> so I know I have something to focus on and my mood has gone from here to here. And I feel like I'm vibrating on a level that attracts other people in. And I know this is very kind of secret based, but by being here, work has been coming to me, even though I haven't been focusing on getting work. So the things have been drawing ourselves in rather than sitting back and letting nothing happen. I'm a huge advocate, like you said, for what did you call it? Proactive? Proactive coping. Proactive coping, finding that goal and going headfirst straight for it because you've got all the time in the world now to do it. Plus, yeah. if you're going to be reaching out to people, they're all at home bored. <laughs> they're checking their emails all day long. They will get back to you because they're bored. You know, the email you would have normally ignored because you were too busy. You're like, oh, cool, I've got someone to reply to. So actually now is an amazing time to reach out to people and ask questions. I've had so many people reach out to me um, on a FaceTime the other day. Someone said, hey, I'm looking to become a choreographer. Can I get your advice? I said, yeah, give me a FaceTime call. Give me something to do, please. And we had an amazing conversation about it. And, you know, I would potentially hire in the future as an assistant choreographer. So just reaching out to those people, um, I think, is is such an important thing right now. And like I said, I'm emailing all these studios and about 50% of them are getting back to me. When I did this in the past, I was lucky to get 10% replies. Yeah. So I think this and is, I, yeah, go on. I think just a shout out to generosity, gratitude mm. and presentness. So it's really, really important to be well. And I think that lots of people think that being well is a kind of, it's a good to have, but not a necessity. And fundamentally, well-being supports your motivation, supports your performance, mm. supports your ability to persist when stuff gets hard. Yeah. And if you can find a sense of gratitude every day, what am I grateful for? What's good about my life? What am I already good at? What have I accomplished? Yeah. That drives you to do more. If you're constantly cutting yourself down and finding all the negative stuff about you, if you're being a kind of deficit detective is my favorite way of describing I like that. it. Like, what's that. wrong with me? What is wrong? What, what do I need to fix? What's yeah. wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? You're going to feel negative all the time. Mm. But if you can find some gratitude about your life and the things that you're doing and yourself in it, that really drives you. Yeah. Also, if you can find a way to be well and find some positive emotions in your life, you talked about happiness. Yeah. So it's really important to be happy, but it's also really important to find meaning. So mm. lots of us do dance because it's a meaningful career. That meaning drives us. That meaning to do things, that desire to prove ourselves drives yeah. us. And you have to invest in your well-being in order to find that drive. So 
being well is a super important thing right now. Amazing. Okay, that's with this one. I think it's going to be quite a hard question to answer. Um, in your opinion, what do you think is failing in the industry and also within the dancers themselves? And how do you see it being fixed? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this. And this is a really hard question. Um, because the my natural desire is to try and avoid the, the conversations about things that are failing. But um, in genuine... <laughs> in genuine truth, I think that um, we're failing in supporting um, professional artists' mental health. And yeah. it frustrates me to see how much investment there is in mental health for athletes yeah. um, at the moment, because dancers are essentially professional athletes, mm. but we do what we do on stage and we do what we do in an expressive way. Mm. Dancers aren't the same as athletes, but we do a very similar physical job. And unfortunately, because the performing arts doesn't have the sort of basis of money that sport has, we don't have anywhere near the same kind of mental health support as a given. And I think we're failing a lot of artists in that way. I yeah. think there are a lot of artists who are suffering right now who really need some help and unfortunately aren't getting the help that they need. So I think that we as a sector are failing those people and we need to do more to help them. Um, and in terms of kind of what dancers are, are failing at, um, that's a really tricky one because I think assigning blame is, is kind of against my religion. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I think that um, we all as dancers um, could, could do a bit more to be community-minded. Um, I think that it really helps when you can reach out to people and hear people and and allow yourself to be heard. And that goes back to the previous point about kind of yeah. believing that what you have to say has meaning. Mm. But I think if we can all trust each other and get together and work together, we we create a stronger voice for our sector. We create a stronger voice for ourselves. Yeah. And we also kind of gain an understanding of the experiences of those around us. Um, dance is a really unique thing to do with your yeah. life. And the people who are gonna understand you the most are other dancers. So invest in those relationships, trust each other, be kind to each other. And, and I think what that will do is make you feel much safer in the environments that you're working in. Um, mm. I have to say that my own, you know, personal worst experience in dance was and has been when I haven't trusted the people that I've worked with. Yeah. And it's awful because yeah. you have to do so much with them. You spend so much time with those people when you're in contract with them, when you're training with them. And if you don't trust them, you end up isolating yourself, which leads yeah. to a whole set of other problems with your mental health. It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> but yes, um, I was basically going to end that with communication is key. Um, communicate. Don't shout. Don't scream. Don't bitch. Um, communicate with people. You know, I've, yeah. there's been multiple occasions where I've wanted to scream at a director or a producer, but I know that's never going to help. You know, I know that you have to calm down and attack it from a communication and a mature point of view otherwise you know the the other side is if you're that person you're going to be known as that person and i know i wouldn't want to work with that person mm. so you know uh, definitely communication is key just learn how to communicate i suppose there you go <laughs> <laughs> now this i think you kind of answered the last question but i'm going to ask you anyway and see if you can elaborate a little bit more in this crazy time where everyone is at home spending time with themselves, what would you recommend we all be doing to make it through this time uh, with our mental health in one piece at the end? 
Um, so my my kind of first and only question, my first and only answer to this mm. is self-acceptance, but it's kind of, the question is how you find that self-acceptance. Yeah. And, and at this time when, at least I can only speak for myself, I found yeah. that this time has been really challenging because we're sort of alone with ourselves. Mm. And there's nothing to distract you. There's no kind of external stuff happening. You and no one ever likes themselves. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what I've what I've personally been doing to try and find a sense of self acceptance is to kind of be in the present moment. And I do some meditation. Um, if that's not too too weird for people, just some meditation. You can do guided meditation. There are great um, apps like um, Headspace and just you insights know, YouTube really stuff that you can listen to to kind of get you into a meditative state doing that for five or ten minutes a day um or even just a couple of times a week and then also um i do a practice where i write out my thoughts every morning so this is something that i started doing when i was younger because i went through a really traumatic experience mm. um where i lost someone really close to me to suicide and i was really really obviously very traumatized, very upset at that time. And what I needed was a space to reflect on what I was feeling, mm. but to not feel like I was being judged. And sometimes when you're talking to someone else about what's going on with you, you're worried about being judged, so you don't want to say some things. So what I do is I sit down every morning and I try and write. And I try and write about sort of three pages, either in my in my notebook or on a Word document. I don't think about what I'm writing. I just write down what's in my head and I just dump it all out. Mm. And what that allows me to do is to kind of give myself some clarity to get that stuff out of my mind. Because if I don't do that, it's pinging around in my brain and distracting me all day yeah. long. It, I get it out on paper. And actually what it allows me to do is organize what what's going on in my mind. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm, I recognize that I'm really frustrated about this or I'm worried yeah. about that. And just by recognizing those things, you're taking the first step to accepting them. Yeah. So self-acceptance is the thing that's really going to help us get through this. Yeah. Except accepting who we are. Like I'll, I'll, I'll be very honest and say that at the beginning of this, I was going through a very tough time, as you know. And it wasn't until I kind of realized that I was good enough and actually I can do this that I really started to flip things around and things start happening. And this live started and now I have a podcast and a YouTube series. And uh, what started as a weekly live is now twice a week because so many people have requested to come on this live. And, you know, it's not about the amount of numbers we get on the lives because they're never that high anyway. It's more about having that message out there so people can listen to it. And the podcast is growing massively in Germany and Belgium, funny enough, and, <laughs> which is hilarious, but I thought it'd be the UK. And, you know, the YouTube channel is getting more and more comments and I'm getting more and more messages from people. And it's giving me reason to just keep doing it and keep doing it. Um, there was a question that someone asked earlier on. I think Bess asked it. I just got to scroll back through because there's so many. OK. How do you find today's physical and mental pressures for dancers compared to they were 10 years ago? Oh, good question. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, I think in some ways the pressures are very similar across time. So um, if you look at the academic research in dance, um, actually the pressures about, say, injury risk or mm. um, what little research there is about mental health um, 
it looks like the pressures are more or less the same, but actually I think probably what's changed is the visibility of those pressures. Yes. So with social media, with mm. media being what it is and the kind of explosion of that media and the visibility of dancers, mm. I think there's a lot more eyes on you all the time. So before, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, eyes, eyes were on you when you were on stage, when yep. you were on TV, when somebody was filming you. Now, eyes on you all the time because somebody's yeah. filming class, somebody's filming, filming rehearsal, yeah. somebody has, you know, decided to do a, a podcast or a reality show about mm. you, eyes on you all the time. And that's not just hard for the dancer who's have, who has that yeah. kind of, that pressure on them. Yeah. It makes it hard for everybody else because the sort of the, the comparison that we all do to each other and how we compare ourselves to everyone else, like that is massive right now. And so I think that comparison thing and the visibility of it has changed a lot. And I think that's yeah. made the day-to-day -day pressure on each dancer much, much harder because we're all feeling like we're in the spotlight all the time. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree with you more on this. You know my views on social media, it can be the most helpful tool in the world or it can be the most horrible thing in the world. Um, comparing, I really want to elaborate on that because I remember when I was training, there was no YouTube, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram. So the only people I could compare myself were the people that were in the class with me. Now, people from the UK are comparing themselves to the dancers in LA, in Germany. And so the pressure and the level is, you know, don't go wrong, it's good for progress and pushing and pushing and pushing. But it's not healthy to compare all the time because then we forget that we need to look at ourselves and go, I've made this much progress today and this much progress today and this much progress today and actually value yourself and your own progress. Um, but I started dancing very late, so I felt like I was constantly playing catch up. If I did it today, I don't think I would have survived it. I think I would have been because I was so far behind when I went to dance school. I was you know, I'd never done ballet and then I was doing it for two hours every morning at the Laban Center. I'd never done Graham technique and my back is awful. So I'm like this going, I'm in pain with that stupid yoga block under my bum. <laughs> and no one else in the class had a yoga block but me. So it was like, ah, you know, I was a boy. I grew up a sports boy, push-ups and sit-ups and my body wasn't made for dance. So, um, yeah, I think if I had the pressures of today and the social media pressures, I just, I don't think I'd have got through it. I really yeah. don't. And so I really get that. And I think it really adds to the fear of failure. So going back to the rejection side of things is, you know, someone's filming, you know, like there was never an issue with getting up and trying to do the, the routine at the end of class and messing up or walking off. It was fine. But now you can't mess up because someone's got it on film and they're going to post it because it's the only video they've got and they want to show themselves off rather than considering other people, which I think comes back to what you were saying about being more considerate for each other and communicating and yeah, stop trying to keep up with the Joneses and just worry about your own yeah. progress. And that's my kind of passionate feeling. But yeah, from 10 years ago to now, I think it's a massive, massive change. Yeah. And I think it's all been brought on by the internet and social media. And you know, it's it's a scary place because you don't know, you post something and you don't know what people are going to say about it. Am I going to get likes? And then if you don't get the likes you normally get or the views you normally get, it can feel like rejection again. So as a dancer, you're getting rejection at the audition, the rejection at college, the rejection when you come out. And then if you add on all the normal life rejection we get anyway, it's a lot to take in. Um, 
yeah, I know there was a second question nearer the beginning. I'm going to just scroll back and try and find it. Uh, music video. Nope. That was just a, you guys are great. Thanks, guys. Uh, James said hello. <laughs> I hey, don't know James. if you saw hey, that. James. What up? Hey, James. What up, dude? But he said he had to go off because he was editing, working. Um, me and him are the biggest workaholics there is. There is no questions in the box. If anyone's watching right now and they have any questions, no, I lie. Uh, have you found that people in the creative industry suffer more from stress-related emotional issues due to the rapidly growing standards? Mm. Um, so stress is a really interesting uh, subject. And um, I have to restate here mm. that I am not a mental health professional. Um, yes. I don't have qualifications in that area. But um, my understanding of stress from having kind of worked with those mental health professionals is that Stress is about how much you feel that you're capable of dealing with challenges. Mm. So I get stressed when the challenges that I'm facing are things that I feel like I don't have the capacity to deal with. And um, there are a lot of things that could potentially stress us. Um, money can stress us. Challenges can stress us. Our own belief systems about ourselves can stress us. And I think in dance, what the problem tends to be is that we have stressors that we don't have coping mechanisms for. Yeah. So that rejection thing, no one teaches you how to deal with rejection as a part of your career in dance. You get taught how to do the technique, you get taught musicality and choreo and no business skills sometimes, yep. sometimes. Um, <laughs> but no one teaches you how to cope with rejection. Like has anybody ever said to you, this is what you do when you don't get that audition? What do you do to deal with yeah. that in a positive way? No, nobody does. And so it's not surprising that people get stressed out about things like that because nobody teaches you how to deal with that. And that's not your fault. No. And fundamentally, I think there is a lot of stress in dance because we don't get taught how to deal with stuff. And that isn't a dancer's fault. What you can do about that is you can go and find out what can help you yeah. cope with those stressors. I cannot count the amount of conversations we've had about mental health and entrepreneurship and how this should be something that's taught through dance school. Um, I know some dance schools are trying to improve and trying to get more things in place, but one mental health session every three months isn't enough. And you know, you and me have both spoken about this and my view is there should be a weekly entrepreneur and a weekly mental health session, whether it be as a group or a personal thing, or you have an onboard, an onboard, that's the wrong word, um, a therapist who's at the school permanently, not a receptionist, who you can go and talk to if you have a problem, which I know is the case in some schools because I've taught there. Um, and very ill-informed people giving out advice about mental health, about diet, about all these things that you should have professionals in these schools. Like you said, we're athletes and they are obviously have a lot more funding in their industry, which is a bit scary going forward because I'm, I'm curious to know how much funding the arts industry is going to get after this, considering the government's just borrowed, what, 300 billion or something crazy like that. So I think we're going to suffer from that end as well. So the funding side of things might be a lot less. Um, I forgot where I was going that, but I'm sure it was really, really interesting. But the main purpose is, is I, I think that entrepreneurship and mental health are the two main things that dance are probably, I think, need more than the talent at the moment in this world. Because, yeah. you know, it's not always the people that get the talent, that get the jobs. It's the one who know how to work the system, know how to work hard and in the right direction. Because if you're working hard in the wrong direction, you're just working hard for the sake of working hard. 
But if you take time to speak to someone like myself or Erin, um, we can guide you to the right people, the right places, or just help wherever we can. Mm. Is there anything else you would like to add? We've only got about five minutes left. Yeah, um, I wanted to speak about mistakes and um, okay. acceptance of mistakes, because I think um, right now, because everybody is really visible and what we were talking about before mm. with this kind of this Instagram culture and the kind of comparison, everybody feels like mistakes are, are wrong and everybody fears making mistakes. And I just wanted to put a message out there to especially young dancers, mm. especially people who are coming up, that the more mistakes you make, and the more you learn from your mistakes, the better you're going to get. And yep. I cannot reiterate that enough, that there's this thing called growth mindset. And okay. basically what that is, is we think that we are able to grow and able to get better. That's what growth mindset is. Mm. If I have what's called a fixed mindset, I think I am what I am and nothing I'm ever going to do is going to change who I am. So if I have a fixed mindset, no amount of classes that I do, no amount of feedback that I get from people, yeah. no amount of effort that I put in is going to change me. And so why should I try? You know, if I'm not talented, whatever, I'm never going to make it. If I have a growth mindset, I know that I put my effort in and I try in those classes and I fall down and I pick myself up and tomorrow I'm going to be better because mm. I've learned something from falling down, picking myself up and giving it a try. And I think a lot of actually what gets people to success is that grind and that refusal yeah. to give up and that that deep deep held understanding that we can grow mm. and i think that if you're afraid of making mistakes or more more often if someone is making you feel bad for making mistakes if someone is blaming you guilting you making you feel bad or calling yeah. you out when you make a mistake then you're going to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Make mistakes, put the effort in, believe that you can grow. And that is going to be ultimately what helps you to get to the top. Because as we've just said, it isn't about talent. No. I think talent now, I would say, is probably 10%. I am mainly referring to the commercial industry. I know in musical theatre and dance companies, it's a, kind of a different story. But the industry that's probably going to prevail after this is... The commercial one so i think we need to start aiming we have a minute and 20 seconds left <laughs> so i know someone quickly asked is what the podcast is if you go to my website brennanhansford.com there's actually a link to spotify so you can sign up to the podcast or if you start if you literally literally say that way too much literally search bh live you'll find all the podcasts you'll also find the youtube channel and this video will go on igtv afterwards Erin, I want to say a massive, massive thank you for you coming on. I always say to people, you're one of the most intelligent people I know, and I could sit and talk to you for hours on end. So I'm so glad you came on this live and shared that with the rest of the guys on Instagram. Well, I'm hugely, such a huge fan, and I just really appreciate <laughs> the, the amount of, of airspace and, mm. and priority that you give to mental health, because... I think people yeah. like you who are known as artists and who also talk about mental health start to address the stigma and start to yeah. make it okay to talk about mental health and be a fucking amazing artist. Yeah, and, and it's okay to it. not be okay, which yeah. is not always a thing because in, in the dance world, as you know, it's tough up a lip and get through it. Right, we literally have 10 seconds so we've got to go. <laughs> Again, thank you so much. And guys, remember, I'll have another podcast on podcast 
uh, live on Sunday. So don't miss that. Bye for now.